I've asked Melissa Ritchie if she would come up and share with us tonight. Uh, Melissa has been a, uh, a dear friend and, and co-worker, actually, over the years um, to my wife and I, and she has uh, shown the gospel um, to us in so many ways. And knowing that she's a mama three, she would have lots of time on her hands. And so I, uh, I thought she would have no problem in preparing for tonight, so I asked her if she would come and share with us. And I'm here, but I came kicking and screaming. You can ask my husband. Um, talk to my kids a lot about obedience, first time obedience, and I'm obeying, but it is terrifying for me to be up here. Um, I'm honored to get to share with you my testimony, and um, it would be a lot easier for me to start at the beginning of my story and talk about where the Lord's brought me over the past, I guess, um, 25 years, 26 years that I've been a believer, but I feel um, as if he's asked me to specifically share what he's done in my life over the past year, which is a lot harder because these thoughts are still really raw and in process, and I haven't had time to actually perfect them and make them sound all pretty and nice, and um, so just bear with me, and um, I'm, I'm a little scared. So I realized at some point over the past year that um, I was living my dream. Um, I had everything I had ever asked for and longed for, like as a kid and a teenager and even in college. Like uh, I um, have beautiful children and an amazing husband. I have the best friends I've ever had in my life. I love my city. I love my neighborhood. I love my church. I have everything that I could ever imagine and what I have always longed for, and it doesn't satisfy me. And... I realized that I'm not even sure at what point um, this year. I don't know if it was at a high moment in my parenting career or if it was when I was cleaning up throw up. I'm not, I'm not really sure at what point. Um, but at some point, it hit me. Melissa, you have everything you've ever longed for. You're living the dream, and yet it doesn't satisfy. Um, and I want to make it clear that I love where I am, and I wouldn't trade it, and I love my family, and I love my my husband so much, and it's not, I'm not saying that I would want to change where I am, but my calling that God has placed on my life isn't what satisfies, it's Christ alone. Um, and a little example of that is earlier in um, 2013, our baby turned one and he started sleeping through the night finally. And I, I remember thinking, all right, there's just one more thing that will make me happy, um, just getting eight hours of sleep. Just, just two nights in a row, please, Lord, just let me have eight hours of sleep and then I'll be happy, I'll be obedient, everything will be fine. And um, so I got that, and it just it didn't satisfy. Or then it's like, okay, well, maybe if I lose the baby weight, and then I can exercise and like be back to what I was like before, and that'll satisfy me. Or if I can just have some alone time. Um, and truly, my heart isn't satisfied with these things. Um, and I'm thankful that the Lord has taught me that, and I think Joel's sermons over the past couple of weeks have really reiterated that in my heart that... The spirit inside of me, pouring out living water within me, is truly what satisfies. Um, and I am human, so my biggest struggle, and I, I don't know if you guys are in the same position I am. I don't know what your dreams are, if you have the same dream as I do, if you have different dreams. But um, I always want the next thing, and the Lord's been very gracious to teach me that. And I've come to realize he's opened up my eyes that if if Jesus is not what satis who satisfies me, um, like it says in Psalm 16, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If that's not true in my life, and if I don't believe that, um, I'm, no, I'm always going to want life to look a little differently. Um, and I will just constantly be living in this state of dissatisfaction, and that's not what I want. Um, and so I don't think this lesson for me has just been about having a content life because I think even people without the spirit inside of them can one day learn the art of living contently. But for me, it's a constant turning from my selfish desires or even the good things in my life that bring me joy and to realize that I need to be turning towards the Lord who is truly the one that satisfies me and, um, and that his, his spirit within me welling up with springs of, of, of life um, is what that satisfies me. So as God's been teaching me this and challenging me in this, I feel like he's also been opening up my eyes to be a little bit less selfish. And truly, that is totally the Lord, because I am so selfish, and my heart is really yucky. And um, especially caring for three children, if I can get a snippet of time for myself, I'm going to take it. And um, But in the past month, really, the Lord has opened up my eyes to see that um, again, because he satisfies me, I can pour out into other people. And it was actually on the day of nine lessons in Carol's service. I was on a run and I'd spoken with my grandmother who has dementia and she's 84. She lives in an assisted living home about five hours away from me. And I could tell she's just, she's so lost in her mind. And so as I'm on this run and I'm thinking about it, um, God just in, in like one mile, I remember exactly where I was in Crestwood on seventh court where God took my yucky heart that just would consider my grandmother a burden and totally changed it into this soft heart that just loved her so much. Um, Backstory, my parents are divorced, recently divorced. My dad's really not in the picture caring for my grandmother. And my sister and I are the only grandchildren. She has no other children. So for a while, I've been thinking, like, maybe I should do something about my grandmother, but it was a burden. And in that one mile of my run, the Lord completely switched my heart and I was basically crying as I'm running, like, yes, Lord, this is a blessing and not a burden. This is a blessing and not a burden. And I still don't know what that looks like, um, but I just, I don't know what's going to happen in my relationship with my grandmother. I don't know if we'll move her to Birmingham or if I'll just travel to see her more. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know that the Lord has prepared me for that lesson um, of opening up my eyes to seeing the needs around me because he's stripping away myself. Um, I don't even think I followed a thing that I wrote after at all. Um, so just be praying for us about that um, as we make decisions for my grandmother. And But that's not really why I shared this. I specifically shared it because I want to give God the glory for the radical change he brought in my heart um, because it's just not of myself. Like It's just not. And I can see how selfish I am, and I can see how he's changing me. Um, and so I want to leave you with a verse that... Um, as I was preparing for tonight, it just kept coming up. It's Isaiah 30 and um, 43, 19. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Um, and so I'm just so thankful and want to give God glory for um, taking my heart that was so dry. And even though I knew the Lord, but still just I had this sadness and, and dryness um, and he's changed it. And so to him be the glory. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa.
If you would, open in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going back to our study on 2 Corinthians. We've only got a few weeks left. The text should be in your worship guide before you. I'm not going to read all of it, but I wanted it all there as a reference. Let me just say, your, your eyes have seen a lot of things this week. You've read a lot of articles, blogs, papers, books, or iPads. Um, but this is different. Um, other things you can casually read, um, but this is God's Word, and it deserves and it demands all of our attention. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is in Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for the building you up, and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Pray with me. Our Father, I pray that in this moment you would send your spirit. He would come and he would lift up high the name of Jesus. That just through the reading of your word, you might begin to soften our hearts and open up our minds to hear from you. Father, don't let me get in the way. I pray that in this moment my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I need to make a confession that when I first uh, decided to preach on 2 Corinthians and on this text uh, months back, I was going through 2 Corinthians real quickly, and I was 
I was outlining it, and when I came to this section in chapter 10, I wrote down verse 5 about taking every thought captive to obedience uh, of Christ, and I immediately began thinking of the ways that I could preach on it. Um, Because it's a great verse, it's a verse I actually have memorized, one that I've heard preached on a number of times, and I thought I understood it. The, The application was going to be really easy in this message, Um, You know, it's about if you have an impure thought, maybe a lustful thought or a a jealous thought, that you are to to take that thought captive and you are to get rid of it and have pure thoughts. And so that's kind of what I had outlined, and all I needed was my three points in a poem, and I was done. You know, sermon, finished. But then this past week, I really began digging in. And I realized that is not at all what this passage is about. And honestly, I didn't like that. I I really didn't like that because I was looking forward to doing a passage I actually kind of was familiar with and I knew. And then I'm coming to this. I'm like, I I really, wow. Um, I already had my mind set on what I wanted to preach. And it was was a pretty good sermon, if I I, I do say so myself, that it it was ready to preach. The problem was the text didn't fit the, the topic or the sermon. And I really tried to think of how can I get the text to actually fit what I want to preach. And I was like, what am I doing? Flip it around. This is one of the reasons that we do expositional preaching here at Redeemer is because we let God set the topic and not us. And so this was the topic that God set. And this is a good thing. And actually, the more and more I began to study it, the more I began to see just how appropriate it is for our church at this time. Section 10, or chapter 10 here, uh, marks a major shift in the letter to the Corinthians. Um, Up to this point, Paul's been talking to the majority in the church. Um, But now he's going to focus on the minority. Uh, If you remember, this church has, um, has been a church in chaos. They were full of sexual sin. They were full of debauchery. Uh, They were full of pride. They were absolutely obsessed over the spiritual gifts. They were pretty much imploding. And so Paul, he would visit them. He would write them. And over the course of time, the majority of these people repented. But there was a minority that did not, and and they were a very vocal minority. That that was a, a pain in Paul's side. I remember one pastor, he came up to me and he said, you know, When you come into a church, there's going to be some people who hate you, and they leave. And there's going to be other people who hate you, and they will stay. And those are the ones that you're going to have to guard yourself about. Well, there's people who hated Paul, and they stayed, and they were very vocal. This minority claimed that the Spirit of God was was now leading them in a new direction away from the Word of God into to different, different teachings. They're, they're moving them away from Paul's gospel to this new gospel. And these leaders were uh, self-proclaimed super apostles. That's the term we'll find out or that they use in the next chapter. And they were very charismatic leaders. Uh, they were tremendous speakers. They were persuasive. They knew how to draw in the crowds and to grow the church with both their rhetoric and their feel-good theology. The church was thriving. 
Last time that Paul came in to confront these people, they literally ran him out of town. He was embarrassed and shamed. So this led Paul to a very dark season when he was forced to leave and and people were embracing a gospel different than he preached. And, And this is during that time we looked at in 2 Corinthians when he spiraled into depression. A depression so deep, he said, I despaired even of life itself. I mean, the guy went through every kind of beating and imprisonment and everything could imagine, but it was a church that brought him down to his knees into depression. And so this minority was hanging on and fighting. Now, Paul, he's turning his attention sharply on them now. And he's about to go to war. Uh, the language of war is, is all over this passage. He, he talks about waging war. He talks about different types of weapons. He talks about destroying strongholds, taking things captive. And, uh, and so if I were him, I'd be ready to fight too. If you had your name slandered, dragged through the mud, kicked out, you'd be wanting to fight. But this is how Paul begins his fight. He says, by the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus... I entreat you. He he doesn't come out with guns blazing. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come with gentleness. I'm going to come with meekness. And then look at verse 3 and 5 again. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, that just means he's human here, we're not waging war According to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every captive, every thought captive to obey Christ. Uh, Paul here, he's using this language of an army laying siege to a fortress or a castle. And Paul and the other apostles, maybe the majority of the Christians at the Corinthian church, they're the ones laying siege to the castle. The castle are these false apostles or these self-proclaimed super apostles. And both of these sides have weapons, but Paul says that his weapons are more powerful than their weapons, and he is going to break them down. His weapons are going to be able to destroy their towers destroy their strongholds, and will ultimately go in and is going to take even their very thoughts captive. Capturing their thoughts is the goal of this war. It's the goal of his assault, is to capture their thoughts. He's waging war with these false apostles, not to run them out of town, not to humiliate them, not to win an argument, not even to get them to outwardly conform to what's good and what's right. What Paul is after is is the very way they think. He wants to change their mind here. Let me just say, I'm not sure if there is any other place in Scripture that so declares the absolute and total sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ than that phrase right there that we're to take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. I'm not sure of any other one because uh, 
I mean, there, there's a lot of good verses out there that declare the sovereignty and the kingship of Jesus. You know, Philippians 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. That's a pretty good one. But you could do those things outwardly. You could bend the knee outwardly. You can confess outwardly. But what's happening here is in, in the heart and in the mind. In which Paul is saying, your every thought must obey Christ. Not just what you do, not just what you say, but even what you think needs to submit to his lordship. I mean, that, that is a, a new type of lordship that we are just not familiar with. When I think of the different powers over my life, every power has got a limit. You know, the, the government has power over all of us. You know, there's rules we have to live by. If you go out here and you're speeding and you speed really fast and you get pulled over and you're caught, well, the power of the law, the power of the officer is going to make you pay a fine. But his power stops there. He can't tell you how you're supposed to invest your money. He can't tell you who you're supposed to date or who you're supposed to marry. Um, he, he can't say, you know, this is how you need to be parenting your children. Uh, the, the police officer's authority stops there. The IRS tells you, you know, you have to pay your taxes. Well, you have to do it. But they can't tell you how you have to feel when you do it. You're to pay your taxes, and I want you to feel really happy about it. I want you to feel positive thoughts about it. The IRS doesn't care. They just want you to pay. And we're used to that kind of power and authority. But, but here Christ is saying, I don't just want outward conformity. I don't just want your actions. I don't just want your words. I want to be Lord over what you think. Your every thought I am going to capture is mine, must obey me. So Jesus' power and his authority are unlike any we know. There's no limits to it. That means that if you don't get to decide how you're going to use your mind, you certainly don't get to decide how you're going to use your money or your talents your time, because all of those things came from God and are at his disposal. So Jesus is to reign over every aspect of our lives, including our thoughts, and it's, it's key to understand this. You have to understand this if you're going to understand what's really going on in this text. Because there is only way, one way you could tell somebody, I want your very thoughts to obey me. Your, your very thoughts, they have to obey. How, how can you command that? How can you command somebody, you're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always? How do you conjure up rejoice? How do you make your mind rejoice? And what's happening here is Jesus is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an affection. I'm going to woo you. Because it's only out of love will somebody's thoughts ever really obey me. You can't oppress a person into making their thoughts obey. You can, you can only woo them with your love and draw them in. And, and that's how we talk about, you know, love. We use phrases like, I found this person irresistible. You know, we were dating a while. It took them a while to break through my defenses. They really, they really captured my heart. We, we use war language when we're talking about love. That's what's going on here. So how does Paul go about doing this? How does the Lord go about doing this, capturing our thoughts? Verse 3, verse 4 again. 
He does this by contrasting two different ways of fighting. You can either have human weapons or fleshly weapons, or you can have weapons that have divine power. This is where I really want us to focus on tonight, is these two different types of weapons. And I'm not, I'm not going to take long because I want us to have a time of prayer. Fleshly weapons are weapons that the false apostles were using. Um, when they preached, they would try to persuade people through their cleverness or their eloquence. And we've looked at these people in the past, so I'm not going to explain all of this again. But these were the, you know, the, the super apostles who were the showmen. They were the entertainers. They brought in the crowds Earlier in this letter in chapter 4, he says that they were using underhanded ways. They were cunning. They tampered with God's word or they watered it down to make it more appealing. They told people what they wanted to hear. You know, God really wants you healthy and, and he wants you wealthy and he wants to prosper you in every way. And so they would preach that to people and say, Christianity is really about, you know, uh, Embracing power. It's not about embracing weakness. Paul and all of his sufferings and, and all of his beatings and all of his arrests, do you really want to be like that? That's not, that's not what Christianity is about. That's a sign that, that God is against Paul, not God blessing Paul. I mean, Paul is just embarrassing himself. He's embarrassing the church. If he was really an apostle, if he really spoke for the Lord, good things would be happening to him. This is what they preached. And Paul confronts them and he says that all of those tactics that you use to, to, to grow your church is nothing more than smoke and mirrors. That's all it is. They're, they're powerless weapons. As far as weaponry goes, they're nothing more than pop guns. They're nothing more than those little, those little foam darts that you can shoot at people. They don't really do any damage because they are useless when it comes to spiritual warfare. You cannot fight darkness. You cannot liberate sinners. You cannot change people's minds with such tactics. You're shooting little foam darts at the devil, you know, try, trying to get rid of him. It's like it won't work, because human weapons have no effect over these things. The reason I'm hammering this home, and I think it's so important for us, is because we're at a place as a church, I believe, where it would be easy for us to start using the wrong weaponry. We could start picking up the wrong weapons and entering the wrong battles. And let me be as straightforward as I can. We are a young, hip church that meets in the inner city, all right? That's, that's, that's who we are. Um, and there's a certain amount of sexiness to that, you know, to be that, that young, hip church. Besides its pastor, I'm like the anti-hipster. I mean, like, as, uh, I'm the yin to the yang right here, okay? I'm, if anybody says you go to a hipster church, just point to your pastor, all right? But, but that's what we are. We're this kind of young, hip, inner city church that's just really appealing at times. 
And we can easily find our identity in that. We can begin to feel really good about ourselves simply because of the way we look, where we're located, the way we sound, the fact that we're growing. And then we can begin to rely on these things. That's, that's, that's where we're going to find our identity. And, and actually, that's going to be our selling point as a church. That's how we're going to bring people in. Man, there's a lot of people your age at our church. Man, you would love our music. You know, oh, yeah, we meet in the inner city. We're not like, you know, all these other churches out there. You know, I mean, we can use that as a persuading tool. We can compare ourselves with others. In verse 12, look at verse 12. Paul says, And, and what I do I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim Am I sorry? Wrong, wrong chapter. Verse, verse 12. All right. Not that we dare classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. When you begin comparing yourself to other ministries, other churches, or if you personally begin comparing yourself to other Christians, Paul says you're a fool. You're an absolute fool. You're not, don't pat yourself on the back because of how you're doing compared to others. That's not where your identity is. Hear me. All of what the world would see as strengths of ours means absolutely nothing, nothing when it comes to destroying the strongholds of the devil, and taking every thought captive, which is the war we're to fight. Being, being young, being hip, being cool, being artistic, having great music, all, all of those things are great if you want to sell cars, if you want to sell soup, if you want to sell people in your political party, if you want to do those things, but we are not selling a product, we are proclaiming Jesus. And that's, that's who we are. We're declaring Christ because we want Christ himself to capture hearts and to change the way people think about him. In order to do this, we've got to have some pretty good weaponry. Paul says that his weapons have divine power. We, we know from other places in Scripture, places like Ephesians 6, and Paul, he's talking about weapons like prayer or weapons like the Spirit or weapons of faith, weapons of the Word of God. But here, particularly in 2 Corinthians, the weapon he is talking about is the gospel itself. The gospel itself is the weapon that Paul is going to use to capture people's thoughts. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul is addressing the church. He said, And when I came to you, to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. 
And my message to you was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul still believes this. He still declares this. He's telling these false apostles, you want to fight? You want to fight? That's fine, but it's not going to be a fair fight. I will go ahead and warn you. Your eloquence, your marketing, your rhetoric, all of your giftedness, all of your strengths, they are nothing compared to what I am coming to you with. Because I'm going to come in meekness and I'm going to come in humility and I'm not going to coerce you and I'm not going to manipulate you and I'm not going to try to trick you. I am simply going to preach the gospel. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified and through the power of the Spirit, He is going to break through every stronghold you have. He's going to conquer your your every resistance. And I'm going to come to you in weakness. And I'm going to come to you trembling in order to make you understand that it's not about me. But it's about Jesus. So I'm going to humble myself in order to get out of the way so you can see Jesus and he can do his work. That's what Paul is saying here. I'm going to preach the gospel and we're going to build this church on the gospel. I want you to think back to your own salvation, if you would. Think back to your own salvation. When Christ came to you, when Christ conquered your heart, if you will, and with his beauty and with his love, ask yourself what happened in this moment. Did Christ become beautiful to you because you were surrounded by beautiful people? Did Christ become beautiful to you because you were surrounded by beautiful music? Did Christ become beautiful to you because the preacher spoke beautifully? Or was it simply through a declaration of the gospel, a clear declaration of the gospel, you saw Jesus as beautiful? And that beauty forever changed you. Because up to that point, you were so resistant. But then Christ disarmed you. He disarmed you with his love. He broke through your defenses. And then he, he, he called you to himself. And he found that call to be irresistible. Then you joyfully were conquered by him. As a church, I want us to remember where our weaponry lies. Okay? And I want us to remember where the battle lies. Our weaponry is faith. It is prayer. It is the declaration of the gospel. Have you ever noticed when you read through Paul's letters that he he never talks about the strategies the church should be using? Never talks about, you know, here's some strategies for growth or here's some, some, some way that you could really market the church to make it more effective. 
you know, when he gathered the, the elders of Ephesus and Acts, he's like, all right, guys, this is what we're going to do. You know, we really need to get the promos out there. We really need to organize this. It, it, it didn't talk about those things. When you read through the letters of Paul, you know what he talks about? He talks about the gospel to a people who already have accepted the gospel. He's talking to Christians. They know the gospel. He's like, I know you know the gospel, but let's flesh out the gospel. Let's really break it down. Let's really live into it. Because if you understand the gospel and the resources of the gospel, it will overflow into every other aspect of your life. And that's where we really can wage the war that we want to war. It's by fleshing out the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel that you can take every thought captive to Christ. That's when you could change the way people think and not just preach some moral conformity. And so I want us to be a church that picks up the white weapons and goes into the right war. A church that understands and clings to the gospel and preaches it and declares it with clarity, trusting the Spirit of God to do His work. Pray with me. Our Lord Jesus, forgive me of the times I get in the way. And I pray this would not be one of them. I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would make these truths real to us. And if there's somebody who has been resisting your call, right now through your Spirit, may they find you irresistible. And may you draw them to yourself. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.